Good morning. Grab a Bible uh, if you can. Um, we're going to be in the New Testament this morning, uh, looking at the book of Acts chapter 19. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Almost Christian. Uh, that's what we're going to be thinking about and looking at this morning. Um, so happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Good. Yep. Um, have you been fasting? I have. I've been fasting from healthy foods. I've uh, been fasting from all forms of exercise, preparing for this exciting Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, when we all are tired and like we dive into studying the Bible together. And so, um, you know, but just to encourage you, just to encourage you, before we do that, let me read to you from Psalm 119, uh, 35 through 37. It'll be on the screen. I just want to read this to you and remind us this morning of the privilege we have uh, to study the word of God. Um, it says this, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And so it is exciting uh, to get into the Word of God together this morning. Again, Acts chapter 19. Uh, we've been studying the book of Acts for a while now. This is actually the 42nd sermon in the book of Acts. As we now come to chapter 19, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and so we're not done yet. Um, but this morning, we're going to begin looking at an important time in the early church. This is the time when Paul was sharing the gospel and leading a new church in the city of Ephesus. Ancient Ephesus is in Turkey, and that is where we are. So I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of the ancient ruins. This, this is a current picture. Um, this is what it looks like. And so ancient Ephesus, that's a library there. And um, many say this was the peak of Paul's ministry. This was, this, this was the best days of the ministry of Paul. It's before he was arrested and taken to Rome. Um, he was able to be here in Ephesus for, we think, about three years and really had a fruitful ministry. So for the month of December, we're going to be looking at these passages in Acts that cover Paul's time in Ephesus. We'll also look a little bit, a couple of weeks, at Ephesians um, as is appropriate. And so uh, let me just say this. As we come to this passage this morning, chapter 19, these first 10 verses, what, what we have in front of us is a comparison. Like we looked last week at Apollos in chapter 18, and the title was A Teachable Servant. And one of the things we learned about Apollos last week is that he did a lot of ministry, and then it said, but he only knew of the baptism of uh, he only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist. It was an interesting statement. We looked at it a bit. Now this week we're going to meet these twelve disciples, and I do say air quote disciples. Paul's going to meet them in our story this morning, and they're going to sound really similar to Apollos. They probably were sort of like followers of Apollos, and. We're going to compare them. It's important that we do. I, I, I Think about it like this. Like if you walked into a room, a dining room, and, and there was a chair, and it was pulled out a little bit from the table, and on the table was a can of Coca-Cola. And next to the can was a cup, a clear cup, and it was poured, and it was obviously filled with Coca-Cola. And then on the other side was a can of Pepsi. 
and there was a clear cup and it was obviously filled with Pepsi. And, and one of them said number one and one of them said number two or A and B, right? What would you be being invited to do? Obviously, right? Obviously, you're being invited to compare two things and to taste and to see like, hmm, are these the same? What's different? What's missing in this one that's present in this one? It's a comparison. And I share that example only to say that that is what is happening in this passage this morning. As we come to Acts 19, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, has intentionally placed this story about these 12 disciples right after the story about Apollos because they share some things in common, but they're also very different. And it is intended that we compare. I'll read you this quote. One scholar of the book of Acts says, Luke grouped these two passages together for a reason, intending comparison. So we are to look at these 12 disciples that we meet in the passage this morning, and we are to say, are these, are these, are these real Christians or almost Christians? What, what's missing what ingredient is not here with them? That's, that's the idea. What are the similarities? What are the key differences? You know, maybe it's even good to reflect on our own lives as we do that. We might ask ourselves, am I, am I missing some ingredients? I mean, we're all missing something, right? But am I missing some essential ingredients of being a Christian? Am I a Christian or am I an almost Christian? That's what this passage invites us to think about this morning. It really does. You'll see. So I'm going to read it now. Verses 1 through 10. Before I do, just know, verses 1 through 3 is Paul. He comes to Ephesus. He meets some disciples, and and he starts to think about, are they real Christians? Verses 4 through 7, he comes to the conclusion, I don't think they are, and he shares about Christ with them, and he helps them become Christians. Verses 8 through 10 is Paul's ministry in Ephesus sort of summarized. But know this. The main thing from this passage today, what God is saying through his word, through these verses, is that there is a reality of almost Christians at all times, in the early church, all through church history, and today. When Christians gather, when we gather, when we're we're together, there are people that are not yet Christians. There are people who are Christians, and there are people who are almost Christians. And it is important, and that's what this passage is doing. It's saying to you and me and to the early church, it's saying to us, be aware of this and know how to be loving, how to be helpful, how to honor the Lord in responding to that reality. All right? So let's read Acts 19, 1 through 10, and then I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to look at four key insights about almost Christians. Acts 19, here we go, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. 
On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Bow with me for a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for just gathering us together. We thank you for family. We thank you for um, church family. We thank you, God, that you are a perfect heavenly father. You're a God not just that exists, not just that is, but a God who has spoken and who loves us and desires to encourage us this morning by your word and even maybe to warn us to see where we are in our walk with you and be sure that we are where we hope to be, that we are truly followers of Christ and not just almost Christians. Jesus, we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Four insights about almost Christians. That is, I believe, the burden of this passage, that we be aware that this is a thing and know how to respond. Four insights. The first one is this. Almost Christians, write it down if you're taking notes and filling in the blanks or whatever. Almost Christians exist. It is a thing. Verse 1 just sort of puts it straight out. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos has left Ephesus, gone to Corinth. We talked about Apollos last week. Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, he passes through Turkey, the inland, and he comes to this city. It's on the coast of Turkey, Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. All right? This is the only place in the New Testament where you see the word disciples without the definite article, the disciples. It's not clear. It's intentionally not clear. It's kind of like disciples, air quote. It's like they came up, they rolled up, and they met some guys who were hanging around the church. It's very much intended that we see it this way. They were were around Christians. They were involved in Christian things. They were talking like Christians. They were using Christian vocab terms, perhaps. And so one would assume, Paul, I think, initially assumed, and we, you and me, we would assume too, okay, these are disciples. But were they? Paul sensed something was off. An ingredient was missing. The taste test was on. Interesting, right? Now, again, we need to compare these 12 disciples to Apollos last week. I want to go through this real quickly with you and show you. So in last week's passage, 18, 24 to 28, we were introduced to Apollos. And in this week's passage, let's just say 19, 1 through 7, we're introduced to these 12 disciples. They're very similar so far. They are both, it says, they say, you know, believers in, it says, John's baptism. That's what we were told about Apollos, and this is John the Baptist. And that's what we're told now here about these guys, right? But that's where the similarities end and the differences begin to become apparent. Now, just watch this, because we're we're driving toward a point, and I want you to see it. This is going to be quick. First of all, Apollos, it told us last week in that passage, those five verses, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. 
But we just learned of these 12 disciples. They said to Paul, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a difference. We heard of Apollos that he himself taught accurately about Jesus. But we just learned about these 12 disciples. Paul had to actually tell them about Jesus. That's a huge difference, right? We, we learned of Apollos that he had to be further like mentored and discipled by Priscilla and her husband, Achilla. Okay, so, so these 12 disciples need help too. What kind of help? They actually had to be led to Christ by Paul. So they're different, right? Apollos, we do not see it recorded that he was asked to be rebaptized. But these 12 disciples, they are, even though they said, we're baptized into John. They are asked to believe in the Lord Jesus, and then they get rebaptized. It's the only place in the whole Bible where someone's rebaptized. The point is this Apollos, here's the conclusion of the comparison Apollos was a Christian who needed some discipleship, and he got that. These 12 disciples that we've just encountered in Acts 19 that Paul has come up across, they're not Christians. They are what we should call almost Christians. It's a thing. It's a real thing. It's kind of a scary thing. You know, Jesus talks about in Matthew 3 that at the end of days, he will separate the wheat from the chaff. It says in Matthew 25, there will be many on the last day who say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We were part of church. We did stuff. We did this. And Jesus is going to say, okay, but I don't know you. We learn in 1 John 2 that there are people who go out from the church and the reason they don't stick is because they never really were of the church. They were just there as almost Christians. 2 Corinthians, Paul writing to Corinth, he says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith for real. Here's the thing, and I'm just telling you, almost Christians exist, and this passage is intending to show us that. Almost Christians are not Christians. Hello? They almost go to heaven, which means they don't. And it's not funny. I, you know, when you really share with people about the gospel, about Christianity, like if we could sit down, right? And I've done this with a lot of people, like sit down with a Bible and a napkin and a pen and just a cup of coffee, right? Like sit down one-on-one and really talk. I've done this with a lot of people and you probably have too, maybe, but like, here's the thing, like you can, you can paint the picture really clear for someone when it's one-on-one and you're like, look, here's, you, maybe you draw it over here, like here's a Christian, like here's the things they believe, like here's what their life is like, not perfect, of course, but like here's a Christian and you kind of draw it, right? And then maybe over here you draw Here's someone who's like not even interested, not a Christian. And you can kind of paint that picture. And, you know, there's all kinds of people in between, right? I will often do this with people and I will say, uh, you know, I'm writing on a napkin, right? And I'll point to the napkin. I'll say, where do you think you are on there? Like if you had to identify like where you think you're at, like in your journey, are you over here? Like, are you, again, not perfect, but are you like inside the zone of like an actual Christian? A lot of times when you're sharing with people, if they're not a Christian, they'll be honest. They'll say, I, no, I know I'm not there. And then you say, well, where are you? And they say, I'm not over here, though. Like, I'm not like the total disinterested person. So, well, where are you? You're like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe here? Like, I, 
been to church. Like, I know some of the terminology. Like, okay. What, what, what's the category for that? It's like a lookalike. It's like almost Christianity. It's, it's, it's a thing that exists. And, and we want to love well people in that space. And we want to honor the Lord as we address that in the church. It's very important. That's why this passage is here. So almost Christians exist. That's the first key insight. Second one, asking deeper questions will help almost Christians. That's what Paul does. He models it. Look, verse two, he asks about their spiritual life. It says when he comes, when he starts to kind of sense, like he discerns, like, you know what? Like, I don't, I don't think they're actually Christians. He said to them, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not heard there is a Holy Spirit. He's like, all right, <laughs> that's a big indicator. And, and I, just so you know, I don't think this means, I, it reads like, I mean, it reads very literally that they, they like say they've never heard of the Holy Spirit. I think probably what's intended for us to understand, because these were, these were people that said they were followers of John the Baptist, who was a Jewish guy. So they would have had the Hebrew Old Testament. The Old Testament talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. They've heard of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist himself talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. So they've heard of the Holy Spirit. I think what this is intending to say is that they have, these 12 disciples, have no real saving experience of the Holy Spirit that is fully Christian in a New Testament way. They didn't know about Pentecost. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit in the Jesus Christ way. And the Holy Spirit is absolutely fundamental to being a real Christian. It's an essential ingredient to being authentic. The Holy Spirit gives us life. You know, our greatest problem, the Bible teaches this. This is what the Bible teaches. Our biggest problem is not that we're bad people. Of course, that's a problem. Our biggest problem is so much worse. It's that we are dead people. The wages of sin is death. We are spiritually dead. We might be very religious, but we are not alive to the God of the Bible. We're spiritually dead. We're disconnected like a cell phone with no service provider. We're not spiritually alive unless the Spirit gives us life. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us new affections. You know what I mean? Like, it's the Holy Spirit that makes you know, things of God go from a have to to a want to. It's the spirit in you that even gives you the ability to want to be a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit working in you that makes sermons interesting and not boring. It is. You might have thought, man, I hate Christian music. Worship music is so lame. I just want to listen to my music. And then you become a Christian and the spirit starts working in you. And you're like, can we get a CD of those songs we sing at church? That's God working in you, giving you new desires. Now, you may not want that if this music is still lame. You know what I'm saying? But like, I'm just saying, that's what the Spirit does. It's an internal work. And listen, Romans 8, 9, I want to read you this verse. Speaking to Christians, Romans says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's very clear. 
And so for these disciples to tell Paul they've never heard of the Holy Spirit is sort of a giveaway, not yet Christians, really just almost Christians. Paul, but had to get to that by asking deeper questions. And he's going to continue. Verse three, he asks not just about their spiritual life, but here about their beliefs. He said, okay, okay. Into what were you baptized? They said, oh, into John's baptism. All right. Now, John the Baptist is the forerunner to Jesus. He, the best way to think of it, John the Baptist is like a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it would really be accurate to say that these 12 disciples are stuck in traffic on the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They're trapped in the Old Testament. They're still just following John the Baptist. And Paul has to sort of get to that by asking them, deeper questions. He sensed something was off, but then he asked them about their spiritual life. He asked them, what, what are your beliefs? And that helps. It does. Getting deeper than the superficial is what helps with almost Christians, and it really helps with everything in our lives, right? The inward life, the heart, the spiritual life, how's your soul versus outward life questions only. Beliefs versus just behaviors. Hey, I want to hear your personal testimony, not just your churchimony, right? Deeper questions will help. Almost Christians take a step. That's what Paul's doing here. Four insights about almost Christians. We've seen that they exist. We've seen deeper questions help. Now, number three, and this is key. Listen, almost Christians need to hear the full gospel of Jesus and be invited into authentic Christian discipleship. That's what is needed. And we're going to look at four bullet points. I think your outline has three, but there are four. Four bullet points that really, if you look at these, they will help you see what authentic Christianity really looks like. The first one is that the full gospel, right, is beyond behavior modification. So look at verse 4. So Paul addresses them saying that they're believers in John the Baptist, and he says, well, okay, guys, but listen, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Pause there. He's like, right, and that's a good thing. Repentance is sort of a religious word. It means to turn. It means to change your mind. It means, you know, to do a 180, right? You're like, all right, I want to get right with God. I want to turn back to God. That's repentance. John the Baptist was leading like a big movement in the first century before Jesus of people that wanted to get right with God. And so Paul's like, look, yeah, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. But here's the thing. Repentance is only one side of the coin. The Bible says that we must respond to Christ with the two sides of the coin, repentance and faith, faith in Jesus. They only had the one side. They only knew about the repentance. They only knew about the behavior modification. And the full gospel is much more than that. It's not less than that, but it's much more than behavior modification. It addresses the heart. It addresses what we're fundamentally trusting in. So he's like, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. He continues. The next one is faith in Jesus. He says, 
But John was telling people, again in verse 4, to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And pause. You know Luke is just summarizing here, right? Like if you were there, if you were in the moment, I'm sure Paul said more than this. I'm sure when it says he told people that John said to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, he probably paused and he explained to them Jesus. He told them all about Christ, all the prophecies that had been fulfilled in Christ, about the crucifixion, about the the tomb, about the resurrection, all of the, 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 the truth that they needed to know about Christ. So he tells them it's not just repentance, it's faith in Christ. John even said that. And then it says in verse 5, and the point here is baptism. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 6 has to do with receiving the Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Here's the thing. These four points are what it is to be an authentic Christian, repentance, faith in Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ, baptism, and being filled with the Spirit of God. These are the things that are essential to being a Christian. Now, really quickly, just like a side note about these verses. So some would say, um, like a Pentecostal person, if you've heard of that term before, would look at these verses and they would say, oh, okay, here we go. These verses are, are really good. This, this is important. What they see here is a person, right? Is a, they, they see it this way. A person's a Christian and they're kind of living their life, right? They're like living their Christian life, right? And, and they're kind of, but they're kind of weak, right? They're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just like, just a Christian. And then they meet an apostle, right? Apostle. And he's like, hey, see so you're a Christian. Um, did, you, did you receive the spirit? And they're like, no, what's that? <laughs> and they're like, well, get over here. And they put a hand on the shoulder. Boom, power. That's what happens, right? Now, here's the thing. When someone prays for you, if you receive more power in God, like that's real. Like now I'm not discrediting anything like that. But what I am saying is that that idea that we have here an example of two-stage Christianity, a Christian and then a Christian with an upgrade, that idea here is not here. Why? You know, because it's very clear that these 12 were not Christians. They weren't like Christians that just needed to get the upgrade. They weren't Christians. And, and everything that they needed happened in this encounter in verses 4 through 7 when they had the full gospel shared with them. That entails repentance, faith in Christ, getting baptized, receiving the Spirit. And then they really were believers. And the baptism piece is key because that's the part about inviting them to enter into authentic Christian discipleship. Not just telling them something but in extending the gospel invitation to respond, be baptized, display your faith, make your decision. Now look at verse seven. Verse seven, I do not believe is a throwaway verse. It says there were about 12 men in all. That's a short verse. That'd be a good scripture memory verse. Um, 
Why does it say that, though? I, I don't think this is arbitrary. I mean, I think it says that because there were 12, right? Like, but it's actually kind of like about 12, okay? Um, I think what Luke is doing here as he's writing Acts, he's signaling to us into the early church that this, is, this church in Ephesus that's happening right here, this is not the JV team. They've got 12-ness. You see? Like in Acts 2, when Judas had betrayed Jesus and they had to replace him, and when they replaced him and they had 12 apostles again, then the Spirit came in Acts 2. He's like, yeah, here, 12, Spirit, church at Ephesus, the church for the Gentiles, the church for the nations. Jesus was working through his people to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Insights about almost Christians. They exist. Deeper questions help. They need to hear the gospel and be invited to respond, to enter authentic Christian discipleship. Number four, almost Christianity must be addressed for the word of God to advance through the church. Verse eight, and he entered the synagogue. So Paul did, right? He led these 12 disciples to become not just almost Christians, but really followers of Christ. And then verse eight, he entered the synagogue. And for three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. All right. So, so, so this is always what we see, right? Teaching, logic, persuasion, arguments. We want to show you the truth. The truth stands. Verse nine, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. A couple quick things about these verses. Number one, in verse nine, you saw that it said they started speaking evil of the way. That was actually a label for Christianity in the New Testament times. The way is used six times for sure. Paul says before Governor Felix that he's part of the way. It's like the label he used. Some people think that it came from John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like the Christians, they, they were like, that, that's great. Let's call ourselves the way. It's really, really a neat thing. Now, okay, so what we see here is they moved. We've already seen this pattern in Acts. He started in the synagogue. They, they got mad at him. He left. He goes and he rents out the hall of Tyrannus. This is a secular space. This is a lecture hall. We don't know who Tyrannus was, but we know it was his hall. We don't know if that's because he spoke there regularly or if it's because he was the owner of it, like a landlord, and he rented it to Paul. But we know that the word Tyrannus means tyrant. And so his parents named him that. That's amazing, right? Um, and, and this is a secular space that, that Paul is using 
during the off hours, it's when it's not being used. In fact, there are other sources that say that for two years, Paul met in the hall of Tyrannus from 11 a.m. to mid-afternoon. That would be during the siesta time of the day. So the business day in the ancient world would have been from sunrise till 11 a.m. And then everyone would have gone home, eat, take a nap, rest. It's the off hours. And so this is a really amazing picture, actually, that I want us to grab onto. Because what we see here is so, I guess the word is missional. Paul met people where they were at in terms of location, in this neutral space, this secular space, in terms of time of day, when when people were off work. You know, there were a lot of people probably taking naps because this was the siesta time. But there were people that still wanted to be there. And this was a season of two years of daily teaching the word in Ephesus in this space. It's funny. This thing about Tyrannus is so funny to me um, because they're using a secular space in the off hours that is owned by a tyrant. I thought about that because our church used to meet in a wedding chapel in downtown Raleigh. And Um, Just a little quick story about that. Like they were so strict. I mean, I'm not even joking. They were like, if we find like, you have to be out by like 11, 15 AM. And if we find like a Kleenex still in the trash can, like you didn't perfectly empty the trash cans. If we find that you are going to be fined $2,000. I'm not joking. It was in writing. I could show it to you. It was so intense. We had like teams that would go in and like comb three times. And I remember asking them like, why? Because they're not like mean people, but that's just like really serious. And I remember asking them like, why do you do that? Like, I mean, we have no choice. We need the space. So we're going to cooperate. But like, why do you do that? And they're like, well, because we're a wedding venue. Have you ever dealt with the mother of a bride that finds the bathroom a wreck in the wedding venue? you know, right when they get there for the wedding. I'm like, okay, I got you. The hall of Tyrannus, like we were renting it, you know, like you can't like you, you just, it's just, it's just a clear picture, but we wanted to be there like in this, in this common ground space. I know we're hoping to have our Easter service this year at Ligon middle school in their auditorium. Again, that's the idea. Like let's, let's go somewhere where we can meet people where they are and invite them to come hear about the Lord. Now, what I wanted to show you here with this point is that Paul here is at the absolute peak of his ministry. It really is. I mean, look at verse 10. It says this continued for two years, this this strategic ministry in this lecture hall, for two years, so that, do you see, this is a big statement so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul would write to the Corinthians, and I'll read you this verse. He says, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Look at it. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 
So this is a powerful time in the New Testament, in the ministry of Paul. We're going to be looking at this time in Ephesus over the month of December. But back to the outline here, these four insights about almost Christians. And this last one is this. Almost Christianity must be addressed for the word of God to advance because don't you see that that's the point here? Luke is telling the early church through verses 8 through 10 and us to look. Look at what happens when the reality of pervasive, almost Christianity is addressed in the church carefully. Health, growth, never seen before impact, revival. You see? First, address those 12 disciples in their almost Christianity. Then, fruitful ministry. The almost Christian, why? Why? What's the logic here? The almost Christian, the church filled with almost Christians, cannot reach their neighbor for Christ, their family, their friend, their world. They must reach themselves with the gospel first. The point is that, again, almost Christianity must be addressed for the word of God to advance through the church. And so as we conclude, and I just want to ask you this morning, are you a Christian or an almost Christian? Fair question, right? This passage, I believe, um, encourages us to ask that. And if you would say, yeah, Pastor Matt, I'm a Christian. Why do you say that? On what do you base that belief about yourself. And my hope would be that it would be on the person and work of Jesus Christ. You're a sinner, but that Jesus died for your sins. And that you believe that. And that you believe that he invites you to trust in him, to put your faith in what he's done for you that you can't do for yourself and to be washed and renewed and forgiven and given this spiritual life. Friends, dear ones, almost Christians are not Christians. Almost Christians almost go to heaven. They don't go. So how does one become a real Christian? Hear and believe the full gospel of Jesus today. More than behavior change. Oh, more than behavior change. Please hear that. It's turning, believing in Christ who died for your sins to be forgiven, who rose from the grave, who alone can lead you and us to eternal life, who is Lord of Lords. Bow with me, Lord, we thank you this morning.